Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast, powered by Kasoon Car. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm thrilled to be joined by Mandeep Court Verdi, who has achieved a huge amount of success in her legal career within such a short space of time. Mandeep qualified in 2011 and within just eight years, successfully runs her own law firm in the heart of City of London. Today, Mandy operates as the managing partner of Core Maxwell, whilst managing family life, having recently become a first-time mother. Under Mandy's leadership, Core Maxwell has grown year on year exponentially. It's incredible what Mandeep's managed to achieve in such a short space of time. So welcome, Mandy. Thank you. Hi, Rob. Hi. So um, I must start by asking the all-important question, as is customary on our Legally Speaking podcast, um, as people want to hear firsthand from you real-life legal professionals. On the scale of 1 to 10, 10 being very real, how real do you rate the TV hit series Suits? Oh, interesting question. I think in terms of office politics, uh, potentially, depending on which firm you're at, it's probably pretty close. Um, In terms of all the backhand deals and all of the uh, convenient relationships that everyone seems to have with one another in suits, I would probably rate it closer to two. I I don't think that's realistic, but uh, all the same, it's, it's certainly interesting. Yeah, well, that, that's fair. I think it's some people are either going for 10, accepting there's a bit of Hollywood in it, or most real life lawyers are saying it's probably a one or two. So uh, yeah, I think we're averaging out in the middle. Um, today, I'm really excited because you and I have known each other and followed each other's careers throughout London, but we're talking about managing partner goals with the view of inspiring others to emulate all of your successes. Um, having just qualified in 2011, you know, reaching the heights of owning your own firm and running your own law firm whilst balancing family life, I think a lot of people we speak to want to try and get to that level. So um, I guess we need to take a step back before that. Did you always want to be a, a lawyer? Oh, no way. <laughs> no way. Gosh. I did it as a complete rebel cause. I... Yeah, I basically decided that um, I was going to do everything that my parents didn't want me to do. They wanted me to be an accountant. And uh, I looked on the list of other options that were available to to do instead of that. And I thought, well, there's no lawyer in my family, so I'll just become a lawyer. I didn't didn't even think twice about it. It was literally that decision. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you want to be an accountant rather than a lawyer, (laughs) which is quite interesting. You speak to a lot of accountants that want to be lawyers. So there we go, vice versa. But you are in law, you're doing very, very well. Which areas of law do you most enjoy and why? Because you've got quite a broad practice. I do. So I trained and grew up in uh, insolvency and restructuring. Yep. That's always been my my love. I genuinely enjoy, I, I still enjoy every single day that I do my job. Yeah. Um, and it really doesn't feel like a job for that reason. But the thing that I love the most with insolvency and restructuring is that you take a situation and you don't see it in the same way that someone else might. You see the good and the bad and what things are actually stopping it from growing. You restructure it. You can flip it. You can do something with it and save what you can. Obviously, the bonuses are saving brands, saving jobs and so on. Um, But also, I've ended up venturing into litigation. So I do a lot of litigation now. I do a lot of cross-border litigation. I'm, I'm doing a lot all over the world. Um, which is fun, yeah. but it's a bit mental, I have to yeah. say. Um, In what sense? Why is it so mental for you? How I see litigation is like playing chess. And what happens when you're dealing with it on a global scale is that you're looking at it almost by playing 3D chess because you're playing with different rules and you're dealing with different personalities from different places and you've got to deal with 
everything without taking it for granted, even just the way that you write an email or the way that you speak to someone on the phone and how you deal with arranging a phone call. Um, all of these things, if you're, if you're as pedantic as I am, they all make a difference yeah. in how you build relationships. Yeah. So it's really interesting. Fair enough. And we'll definitely talk about why you wanted to set up your own firm, Call Maxwell, in a minute. But just again, going back a step, um, from your previous roles, which experiences do you think most prepared you in taking the step to managing partner or setting up your own firm? I would say it would probably have to be Newman's. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was head of department at Newman's for five and a half years, and I was given that opportunity as a platform at a very young age, to be fair, about 26, 27. I, well, I didn't think I was prepared for it, but the people that pushed me to do it obviously felt that, that I was. So that was probably my best experience. Yeah. And then, like I said, so setting up your own firm, what fueled that passion and why did you want to do it? Because it's not an easy ride, right? <laughs> Yeah. I wouldn't say it started off with, I want to set up my own practice. <laughs> okay, it never talk happened us, like that. <laughs> talk, talk us through that journey then. Uh, so so basically what happened was um, I ended up in a situation where I was in a practice where the senior partner who was the sole owner of the practice became quite unwell. And instead of me going on maternity leave, like I should have been um, at around seven months pregnant, he told me he was closing the practice down. Wow. So I had a decision to make at that time and it was just before Christmas. Actually, this time of year just makes me think back to two years ago when this happened. Yeah. And I remember being absolutely ginormous. I couldn't even get into London. I was so heavily pregnant. It was unreal. Um, I had mediations, case, uh, case hearings coming up over the period that I was away. The last thing I thought of was, well, hold on a second. Let me just try and find another job and move myself and move my staff and and so on. Um, so I I still tried. I went for a couple of interviews yeah. and I was sitting there and I thought, well, okay, I'm having this conversation with people and they kept asking me over and over again. And like being completely brutally honest, this is what kept happening. And as much as I'd like to say, we've come away from that mentality that women and men are treated equally. Mm. Um, you can't hide from the fact that someone who's seven months pregnant um, is sitting right in front of you and they're not going to treat you differently because they absolutely were. The conversation mostly surrounded, well, how long are you going to take on maternity leave? You know, what if things don't go to plan? Things that as a first time mother, you're already nervous about. You don't really know how you're, how you're going to be when you have a baby. You're obviously praying that everything's fine. But at seven months pregnant, I was under so much stress. Um, I was just worrying about everything all the time, not sleeping. I was worrying about my cases. And I, having taken on cases, I I really do feel that sense of responsibility. And I never was that type of employee or lawyer that could go, oh, well, it doesn't matter. It's someone else's problem. So um, I had a conversation with my husband after, I think, my second interview. And he just said to me, and he's not a lawyer, he said to me, if you weren't pregnant right now, what would you do? And I said, well, I would take over the business. And he said, well, then just do it and we'll figure it out. And I said, but how? I mean, we're going to be parents for the first time. We don't even know what that's going to be like. You're actually telling me to start a law firm, you know? And I think that probably caused arguments for about two weeks. I was like, how dare you say that to me? Why? And he was like, but I'm, I'm encouraging you because I know you can do it. So 
to be fair, I, I wasn't positive about it, but I was like, let's just see how it goes. So made the application to the SRA. Um, and every single step of the way, I kept saying, well, if it's meant to be, it will happen. It will go in my favor. And yeah, so at eight months pregnant now, because everything was happening so quickly, come it was December. Um, my daughter was supposed to be born in January. Um, yeah, nothing went to plan the way it should have, but yet everything sort of found its own place. So ended up getting authorized by the SRA, got insurance, professional indemnity insurance, um, basically managed the other firm, started my own firm, went off and had a baby, came back. So how long did you have off? I bet you didn't have a great deal of time off knowing you. In all honesty, yeah. uh, <laughs> I did check my emails the next day after, wow. I'd, uh, after I'd had Tira. Yeah, um, it, it did happen. Um, but it was one of the best decisions I ever made. It was the hardest year of my life. I cannot deny that. Um, but yeah, I, it felt at that moment that I had two babies because I literally had a law firm, which is a business is a nurture, whatever you do, whichever, whether it's service-based or product-based, you, you need to nurture it and you need to grow it. You need to be a part of it. You can't just run it from afar. Mm. And obviously with a baby, it's a baby. You need yeah. to be a part of that as well. Um, but actually I had to go from being just an individual person who was married, just almost quite living quite a selfish lifestyle to learning how to care for a little person and instead of just being an employee learning how to to be a manager and to manage and to actually be a partner of a law firm so those things all came at me at the same time and I had to learn two completely new roles that, that I had never done before wow well that's a real you know case study and great successes you've had and I think what I'm taking from that is Lots of lawyers tend to be quite risk averse, but actually the few lawyers that we've had on recently, we had a, a corporate partner, Ed Hooper, on the other week was talking about how he's taken risk. And you took a massive risk there, right? Taking on both of those it responsibilities. Was all and, you know, it's very much a case of getting comfortable being uncomfortable, which a lot of people are talking about at the moment. I think that's another great story about personal development and just going for it, right? And what's the worst that can happen? So I think that's really empowering. Um, so thanks for sharing that. I guess so we are on to Core Maxwell, as you like to call it, KM. So... You know, you're doing great things. I've known the firm, you know, since pretty much day dot. You, you're absolutely smashing it, knocking it out of the park. Um, but in terms of those quite new to, to the firm and perhaps what, what you're trying to sort of get your message out there and what makes you different, what would you say say to that? So with KM, my absolute goal is to just go back to the basics. So we are a service-based industry. We, we should not think that we are any different to that. Solicitors often do think that they are um, just in a group on their own. They're absolutely not. We are a service-based industry. It is our role and responsibility to make sure we follow through on that, that whole process. Um, and so what we do as, as a firm is we just take it back to its basic roots. We make sure that the customer journey is something which should be easy and understandable the entire way through. We've got to respect the fact that people are coming to us in a very difficult time mm. and to actually be aware of that and to understand that rather than using that as, as some reason to ignore clients or not respond to them in days, which is often what I was getting feedback from, from just general public was that's what they're getting as a service from solicitors. And it's really poor because some people don't have five, six hundred pounds an hour to spend for really top level firms. And to be fair, whether you're in a big firm or a small firm, 
if you lose the idea that you're a service and that you've got to have a good level of of ability to impress them then there is no really there's nothing you can do apart from that yeah no well said well said and i think in terms of your leadership what do you think are some of the qualities and it's not a chance for you to be big-headed here but i generally believe you're doing really really well what do you think are some of the leadership qualities you need to run a successful law firm from top down i don't know about successful i can only tell you what i'm doing and hopefully it's working i'm still very much learning absolutely every single day um but i think it's really important to listen to your staff and to listen and be aware of what's around you um to be open to being flexible like not just to be so stuck in your own way that your way is the only way that's the right way a lot of that i've learned from just be, like being a mum yeah. um one thing i've learned for both roles is everything is temporary mm-hmm. you know if it's not here as teething um that's that means i haven't slept for three nights it could be a case that i'm dealing with where something's going on on that and what i have to balance is that the idea that there will be a better day than this i just have to get to that point um and that's probably been in its worst but in terms of qualities, I would say you've got to have a lot of confidence in yourself. And that's not to say that I, I haven't had those days where I've questioned my decision or questioned whether I'm making the right or wrong move. Um, but you have to trust yourself massively on every single step you take and stand by it. Yep. Because if it's okay to say that you haven't done something right and that you're learning from it. One of the things that I do at KM, which I never had the experience of at any law firm, actually, is that I I run this firm with complete transparency. So I tell my staff, look, we've had a good month, we've had a bad month, we've had um we've we've got this much, we've got the corp tax due and it's this much, and we know we've been saving this, and these are our targets and these are our billables. It's so important to show staff the entire transparency of everything and to get their input. So from from like venues of where we're going to do the Christmas party to whether a notepad should be a certain size or the other size. Within reason, obviously, if you go asking absolutely everything, no one's going to get any work done. But on the other hand, they feel a part of it and you can't buy that. You can't make people care. Um, They just do because they feel like they're part of every decision that you're making. And I really like that. And that's much the way that I see businesses should be run that, you know, if you're you're hiring in people and, you know, particularly a small or aspirational growing business, you know, it's a team and everyone should have a voice and it shouldn't just be from top down. So I think your tips there are get people involved, get genuinely empowered. And so they feel like they care for the greatness of the firm, right? Absolutely. Yeah, which is a good point. Um, You touched on it there about finding the balance between sort of, you know, being a first time mother versus running your firm. What tips would you give to people if they want to sort of, you know, take your route or decide to do it other than probably you're going to say, don't do it. I was going to say, don't do it. <laughs> don't but do it. What, have you, what have you learned? What would you sort of feedback to people who might be thinking about, do you know, I'm, I'm really inspired by this. I'm going to take the step. Okay. So what's really interesting about this is I, being completely transparent and standing by what I've just said, um, I've struggled with it a lot. I struggled with just the concept of being a mum and being a lawyer because they're so far apart in what society expects of you. Being a lawyer is very selfish, very, very matter of fact, very glamorous, very, um, 
just just pure selfish you you go out you don't think about what time you're getting home you don't think about dinner you don't think about nappies you don't think about what you don't think about any of that well, it could be a flip side. You've got mum sitting at yeah. home, constantly like cooing over you and ironing your little onesies and complete polar opposites. So what I realized for myself was I've got to just almost erase the thinking of one or the other because it's just not humanly possible for me to do both. And I was trying to do both for a long time. So I was still trying to keep up with that standard of mum and I was still trying to keep up with that standard of lawyer and I couldn't do both. Mm. So I just decided to create my own space. And what I would say is, yeah, I don't go out drinking all the time. I don't network as much as I used to. But in all honesty, when I do network now, it's actually a hell of a lot more productive than it ever was with the, the nights that I used to go out before. And yeah, I don't spend every single minute with my child, but the three hours I get with my daughter in the evening, nothing and no one can stop me from spending that time with her, even if it is listening to Baby Shark non-stop <laughs> for an hour. Um, so what I've done is I've made my own norm and I've said, you know what, this is the best I can offer. And the one thing that I want my daughter to understand in many years to come is that I made this decision for her because I don't want to be the person who isn't standing by what I believe in. And if I, if she was in that predicament that I was in, I would say to her, you can do it. You just have to figure out a way to do it. And by leading by example is what I wanted to teach her. Yeah. So any women that are out there and, and even any dads that are out there, and I've met a couple of dads who have said, oh, my wife just had, you know, one or two, but I find it so hard just watching her, let alone how, how have you done it? The, the truth is, is I have done it. It is, it is possible. I'm not superwoman. Yeah, I might sleep a bit less. And yes, there is absolutely no question. Probably in the worst of it, I used to wake up at three in the morning. I used to dictate until six. And then I used to wake up and look after her in the morning. And I used to sort of, I didn't know what time of day it was. Some days I'd be kind of constantly working all through the three, through the hours. But in the worst of that, and it was just temporary. I got over it and she started sleeping through the night and so on and so on. And I had to learn as well, being the kind of boss I used to be before as a head of department and, and a partner at a previous firm, I had to let go mm. and I couldn't be that same boss that I was then. So I had to learn to kind of go, okay, maybe I can't check every single email that you send out anymore. And maybe I can't do certain things, but instead... I'm going to show you what I mean so that you don't make this mistake and I don't have to keep correcting it for no reason. So I think I found better ways of working. But um, but yeah, going back to what you said, I think if there's any tips I can give anyone, just make sure commercially it makes sense. Understand the risk. Don't don't just do it because it sounds cool because yeah. trust me, it's not, <laughs> yeah. it's like, you know, I can, I hear your introduction and I hear people go, Oh my God, are you serious? You started a law firm at eight months pregnant. No, I never did it because of that. I did it because I had to survive. I had to do it because I had cases that were promises that I'd made and I had to stick by them. This is nice that people understand it, but if anything, as you say, from the experience that I've had, I just want to be able to tell people that you can do it. Um, just be prepared, like any business owner, to really put your skin in the game because that's what, what you need to make it work.
Well, that's very modest of you. And I think that's very humble as well. And I think you, you're right. It was by, you know, circumstance. But some people, you know, it's you can choose to lay down and be sort of beaten or you can get up and fight. And I think that's more inspirational that you're being very honest about your journey. And, you know, it's not just all sort of, you know, pretty things in the sky and everyone saying, oh, isn't it amazing, this, that and the other. But, you know, testament to you, the fact that you kind of got on with it. And I think that just shows, you know, to inspire other people, sometimes feeling sorry for yourself, licking your wounds isn't the answer. And the two points that I want to sort of pick up on that as well is you mentioned your husband as well was kind of a, an influence on you and saying, well, what's there to lose? How important is for people in terms of having a support network around you? Because you can't do it all yourself, you know, as, as a business owner. It's nice to think you can, but you can't. So you touched on the point about having trust in your team and sort of really getting your team embased into the way that you want to do it. But how important is it? having the right support me mechanisms in place, both at home and at work? It's absolutely crucial. It's so necessary. And I would never have been able to do what I did if it wasn't for me having people around me. There's, you, you're completely right. I mean, my husband, my parents, uh, my siblings, there are so many people just on the personal side that have been there and been supportive. And then on the flip side, work-wise, yeah, I couldn't ask for a better team. They have just been unbelievable and every single day watching them grow and watching them become better lawyers and and um better team members it's just an absolute joy to see that um, but the beauty of it is is that when you do the basic things like transparency and you are honest with people you don't need to convince them to be a team member um even with your own family like you can ask people for help um, and sometimes it's hard to ask. I'm not someone yeah. who can ask for help at all. So for me, it was like, oh my God, I don't have a choice. I have to actually reach out. And it took a lot for me to do that because they were looking after the most important thing I've ever had. And I didn't even know how to process that because I, I felt like it was like the worst thing I could do, leave my child with someone. Um, and there's been times where I've brought my daughter into the office. Rarely, yeah. I might add, but there have been times where, you know, my trainees have, have been trying to rock her to sleep in a <laughs> in a pushchair because we've had something urgent that needed to go in on Monday. Yeah. Yeah. And that network, you couldn't ask for that. I mean, you know, in this day and age, people to understand what team playing really means, it's actually quite hard. Yeah. Um, and it's quite rare. Yeah, no, totally agree. And another point you've kind of touched on a little bit as well, which I really liked about when you talked about networking and you said, you know, even now you go to less networking events, but actually when you go to them, you get more out of them. It's probably because you value your time even more now. Um, but how much networking do you need to do as a managing partner of a sort of aspirational firm? You know, it's, it is dog eat dog in the legal services world. We know that people can cut it up how they want, slice and dice it. But yeah, how much networking do you think you need to do? And, you know, how do you go about doing your own networking? Um, so I, pre being a mum, I was a serial networker. I did a lot of networking and I built a really, really strong network of lawyers uh, who gave me referral work, accountants, insolvency practitioners, individuals, business owners, etc. So when I did what I did and I set up, it was really interesting getting the feedback of, oh, Mandy, we knew you were going to set up one day. We knew that was going to happen. I you knew all... you were going to set yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny because I'm like, how? But how would you? And I, I used to be the one say, one person saying, no way, I'd never want to run a law firm. Like, God, that's so much red tape and this and that. And actually, um, I absolutely love it. Because I love business and I love being a lawyer, but I never thought I'd enjoy the two things together. And um, and so what I would say is, is when you when you look at it from a business perspective, you quite rightly say that you value your time in a different way. 
sitting in a pub previously as an employee for six hours and maybe getting one lead as opposed to going, right, I'm about to go into this meeting. Maybe I can squeeze two meetings in this evening because dad's got the daughter so I can maybe get this, this and this done. So what are my aims and objectives for each meeting? Get in and get out and get what I need. And absolutely, you're so right. It It is about you going, this is what I need to achieve from this meeting. I'm just going to get it done and move on to the next. And I would not, I would not say that you don't need to network because you absolutely do. You're completely right there. Um, but what I would say is, is that my style of networking has changed massively. I think that you need to have a presence in the, the relevant circles, but you perhaps can shave off some of the time that you didn't really need to spend before. Mm. Have you found it better going with a managing partner badge to those sort of networking events or have you found it harder? Because again, some people, you know, sort of see it might get a little bit entitled, but at the end of the day, you're still doing the job, right? And you're going out there and you're growing your firm and you're getting your name out there. But have you have you found it easier or harder? Do you know, it's really funny you say that because I don't even tell people I'm a lawyer most of the time. I really? just Yeah. <laughs> like people's body language just goes oh god not another lawyer they say that about (laughs) us as recruiters (laughs) it's literally like i can you can just see it off their face so instead what i do is just be a human being and have a nice conversation about whatever yeah um and just get to know someone i think people often hide behind and maybe it's down to insecurities but they hide behind a name or a title or whatever and i guess i'm just in a different place now um I probably would have been that way before being a partner would have been a big thing. It, it was a big thing. I remember when I first got the partner title, it felt really, I felt really privileged. Being a managing partner is great, but I think it's just so real for me now that it's just not that fun. <laughs> so. I think that's a really like authentic story. You know, something about, you know, you're really building trust in people as well. You're not going in there trying to impress them or sort of oversell what you are. It's like you want to understand these people to the core and actually say that's what you try to trying to deliver is actually, you know, a value add service that genuinely cares about their clients and getting back to people. So I really resonate with all of that. One thing I've also been super impressed by the way that you run your firm is also your appreciation and adaptation of technology. I think, you know, lots of firms are still stuck in the dark ages and we're talking about that um, the other week about legal tech but do you want to talk about sort of how you guys embrace technology and what that's done to sort of benefit your overall systems and processes absolutely with uh, with tech and with the legal industry unfortunately we're so archaic it's unreal yeah um we for whatever reason and having worked in so many different firms i've just seen why it doesn't work and so i just cut through a lot of the things that previously i didn't think were necessary so we use things like slack we use um which is to explain to the non-legal minded so technologists yeah sure so slack is a is just like a messaging system through um it's, it's encrypted but you you have it on your computers or you can have it on your phone yeah. and you create like groups or channels and you can you can have things like Things that basically cut a lot of mess that you don't need to have in your your inbox. So, for example, we have like a channel that says money in. So if money's come in and they don't know where to allocate it, the accounts will just put it into the channel and whoever it is will just claim, that's my money, can you put it on this file? Um, Rather than there being 15 emails going, oh, well, could it be on this file? Could it be on this file? And so because because I've had to learn to work in a really methodical way, um, I like to keep my inbox, my uh, my Outlook inbox really, really clean. 
Um, so I just take all of that unnecessary communication out of our inbox entirely. We use, uh, we're just moving over systems uh, like our, our document management system. So we're going to be able to time record on our phone. We're going to be able to like give a client login from their side. So we don't even have to send emails to a client anymore. We can, we can actually have them have access to our portal. So when we send letters and stuff, they can log in and see them. There's loads of new things that I'm introducing to KM. I'm also in very early stages of a KM app at the moment that I'm super excited about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so uh, watch this space for that. Definitely. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's there's just so many things. The thing is, is when I've got my business hat on, yeah. I could go, oh my God, I've got another idea, you know, and I'm yeah. just going for it. But then I have to bring myself back to fee earning and uh, doing that. So there are a lot of hats that I wear um, on most days, but but definitely tech and development is is the space that I, I see KM really taking its place because what it means is, is that we're a hell of a lot more environmentally friendly we are able to keep in touch with our clients on real time. So be able to literally say, we've just sent this letter. And rather than two days later telling a client we've done it, just there and then we just select share with client and it will be on their side. Things that should just be really obvious, yeah. just not. Um, you must have found that very liberating because obviously having worked in other firms where even trying to get, you know, maybe order some new stationery, you know, or whatever it might be, but actually being able to come in and say, do you know what, I want my firm to be properly in the modern world and actually just rolling with it and getting people to adopt to that sort of thing, right? That must be very liberating having been in other firms. It is. It yeah. really is. I, I think that's one of the, the big perks of uh, of being managing partner and, and being in an environment where you can say, right, I want to affect a change and I can affect it immediately. Obviously, you need to get buy-in. So you need yeah. to get your millennials will jump in and go, yeah, that's a great idea. Totally all over that. And sort of your elders might not, but um, it takes a bit of time. You've got to convince them. And if not, you know, you just make them do it. But yeah. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Okay, and you've touched on it there, but just to kind of get a little bit more about your plans for 2020, you mentioned there's an app coming out. You mentioned you're obviously going to keep investing in tech and development, but what is there any sort of like key things you want to sort of spread the word about for sort of 2020 for KM? I would say definitely watch this space. We are really looking to grow our team. We're on a growth development upcycle at the moment. We are looking at what the market needs. We're trying not to necessarily get involved in every area of law. We're just trying to manage the work that we've got, but we can't turn away from the work that we're getting. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of larger cases on coming into 2020, which are probably going to take a lot of time. Um, but in terms of the firm and its development, I think we've got some some ideas which I'm probably not in a position to talk about right at this stage, but keep yeah. keeping the listeners engaged, right? <laughs> well, we'll have to invite you back on in the new year and you can tell us tell us more. Um, just on that, I always like to ask people generally, if you could win any accolade, I know you've been super successful to date already, but with KM, is there anything in particular you would like to to sort of win or you're aspiring towards, or do you not believe in awards at all? I think awards are, are brilliant. I think they're a great way to um, to bring promotion to individuals and to teams and to, to firms. I also believe in actually earning things. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I'm not suggesting by any means that no one out there hasn't earned them. But I, I think that with many of these sort of award companies, you kind of end up buying tables mm. or whatever and it kind of gets a little bit excessive instead what i do with km and my stuff 
really do appreciate it is that we do a lot more for charity and I tell them about what we're spending money on. So we, for example, pay for these like hygiene kits for home, the homeless people. And we don't put our name brands on it and stuff like that. That That's not, it's not for the purpose of branding the firm. It, the idea is, is that I'm telling the staff that instead of doing this and spending whatever on this, which is probably not that necessary, you've just helped a hell of a lot of home, homeless people um, to maybe, you know, get checked out from the dentist or to, to, to get a meal or so on. So what I do with my stuff is a lot more of the charity stuff than... Um, yeah, which is great. And that's really commendable. Um, I guess as we wrap up, just so you know, it can't all be work. Um, so when you are taking some downtime... Um, I'm assuming there's a lot of family time there with your daughter as well, but what does a managing partner tend to do for downtime when you're not in the office? I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know what downtime means at all. Um, in all honesty, if I'm not doing something, it's something else. Yeah. I, I kid you not, just as an example, this morning, I woke up at four, I ordered water for the office, I ordered <laughs> loads of stationery, name badges and whatever. I mean, literally, it's just never, it, it's nonstop. And that comes back to your point, though, about people saying it's not just about the title. You know, the reality of the job is you've just got to do stuff. Um, and I think people get stuck in the headlights with all the headlines. But, yeah, I see it a lot of the time. So that's a really kind of nice, genuine day-to-day -day outline there, right? Yeah, it's, it's definitely not like Harvey Specter. Like, it really is. <laughs> yeah, you're justifying your two out of ten. <laughs> For yeah. sure. Um, okay, well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thanks so much. I think what you managed to achieve in such a short space of time, I know a lot of our listeners are going to be thoroughly inspired. If they do want to reach out or get in touch with you, how's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Oh, whatever way. Uh, LinkedIn um, or, or whatever you suggest, really. Yeah, I think, yeah, definitely follow Mandy on LinkedIn um, or, or connect with her. I'm sure she'll be happy to answer any questions or, or help with other things. So from our side, thanks very much and over and out. Thank you.